Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where in season two, we go into the 80s and revisit each year or visit each year for the first time and learn about what was going on in pop culture. The year, 1986. The Cosby Show was the most popular TV series and Top Gun was the highest grossing film. The Soviet Union launches the Mir space station. The Chicago Bears were the Super Bowl champs. The New York Mets won the World Series and the Montreal Canadiens clinched the Stanley Cup. Pixar was founded by John Lesseter along with Steve Jobs. And the space shuttle Challenger disintegrates 73 seconds after launching, killing all seven astronauts on board. Do you know that I did not learn about this because I, I came to the U.S. like in 86, 87. I actually didn't learn about this until much later. Like, I feel like a year later, people weren't talking about it as much. And again, that could have been because I was in a sheltered class, like ESL class. So the and and again now I know way more about it, but I don't remember this like being a thing when I was like in my pre tens, you know. How was it for you as far as like uh like the your experience with the homeschooling? I remember uh learning about it and then uh I know that I wanna say it was like more of a scar. So my dad was a um a teacher. Uh, an elementary school teacher and so i think like it was more of a thing because obviously um my brother was like only like around a year old here and i wasn't i wasn't born yet so it's something i would have to find out about years later but i know it was like you know a uh big deal for for people uh at the time like it was obviously just such a tragedy and then I think my dad being in education, I want to say that was like very aware. And also, you know, because that's like, you know, you've got people that are like some of them educators themselves doing this, becoming astronauts. And it's it's a thing that you would normally be hyped to talk about your class, especially at that age group, you know, um, before you're dealing with uh, jaded teenagers, you've got kids that are like, I want to be an astronaut. And like, you know, this makes science exciting. So I'm, you know. I know that that was like a, a big deal. Yeah, I just I as I because I, I remember again I remember re- learning it about it on my own, but it was like I don't remember it like again like I don't remember it being like pushed around in, in junior high or elementary school. That's why I, I when I was doing the research, I was like, oh, this and I, and again I know a bit more about it now, but it was just interesting. Um. So very quickly before we get into births, I want to do a quick uh, Clint Eastwood check. Oh, yeah, we haven't done that, have we? Yes, so happy to report the uh, that he's actually preparing to shoot a new film. Oh, damn. At the tender age of 93 years old, he is um, going to be doing a movie called Juror 2 about a juror who is uh, in the midst of the trial he's in. He realizes that he actually is connected to the murder. And there's this, it's you know, there's this little moment of like, do I help corrupt my jurors or do I, you know? So it seems like it's going to be one of those crime uh, dramas. Um, but it is, it is. Insiders say that um, Clint views this to be potentially his farewell film that he hasn't been. He wasn't entirely happy right. with his last one, so that they think that this might be his last one. This will be his fortieth film. Isn't that insane. That is. Uh... Quite the track record. I'm telling you, I'm starting to put notes together now for the Clint Eastwood episode. Just gonna say it. I, I want I, if this movie does well, maybe he can do like a, a juror two number two. You know, you can do a sequel, but this time he's just trying to get out of jury duty. You know, he's just it's just Clint Eastwood sit there just saying stuff like, "Nah, I don't think." I thought <laughs> just, the more the more standard experience. You know, <laughs> I thought <laughs> juror two, the summons, the the no summons again. I was thinking you were going to go to Juror 3 and he's just going to remake the movie except in the, from the viewpoint of another juror. <laughs> but it's also Clint Eastwood now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that would be amazing. 
Okay, we're gonna we're gonna delete that so that nobody steals that idea from us, even though Clint Eastwood is already doing it. If and, it's his farewell film too, you can just picture him doing all his one-liners like to stuff like you know they come up to pick him and he's like, "Go ahead, make my day," and they're just like, "All right, we're gonna pick the next guy." No, no, I think um, I think what's gonna happen is, well, uh, well, he's he's uh, he's gonna act in it. He always tries to put himself in the movies that he does. Yeah. So maybe he's like a judge or something, and he can give like a, a really good like line, like you know, "You've been judged." You've been. Do you feel lucky, punk? Yeah, you know he could. He, could, he doesn't have to like, make a new one. He can just go through the catalog, like you said. Yeah, he's got. He's got a quite the catalog of movies. He could just pick one. Quite forty total, I believe. Uh, all right, moving on to births. Uh, Megan Fox. Uh, she was born. I again. I outside of Transformers and like I think Jennifer's body. I don't really know. Besides now that she's like with and, and that she was with uh, Brian Austin Green from 90210 and that now she's with uh, Machine Gun Kelly or they're in the rock. What a what a roller coaster that is. It is definitely. But I think you should expect this if you hook up with somebody who's got suspenders tattooed on him. Just going to put it out. Yeah, there. that says something about your character. I don't know what it says, but it's 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 probably a red flag. Maybe, maybe. Um, Lindsay Lohan, speaking of red flags. <laughs> now, again, look, I, 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 you know, look, we, we laugh, obviously. All the time we laugh, Gabe. Um, do but a lot of laughing here. We do a lot of laughing, don't we? I've noticed from our clips that I put up on Instagram. Uh, you can find us at Instagram Pop Culture Hangfire. But, but you know, like, she's had quite a career because she started in her teens uh, doing Disney movies she started going mm-hmm. nuts in her thirties. I still think she was incredible in Mean Girls. I thought I think that movie itself is so is such a good film. It is a fantastic film. And I mean, thanks to her, they brought back Herbie the Love Bug. I mean, come on. I was a big fan. I grew up on the original Herbie movies, so like I don't know, like it, that was an uphill battle Are for they- that one to be. I thought you were going to say I grew up with the original Parent Trap, and I refused to watch that. Oh no no no! I mean I I. <laughs> I don't. I'm sure I've seen. I know I've seen parts of those, but that's another story. Kit Harrington, whom we I think we all know just from Game of Thrones and then from the other movies he's tried doing. Plus, he was in the Eternals, and he's 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 uh he's going to be the Black Knight, right? From uh, Excalibur. Yeah. You know that's uh that's Kit, right there, married to a uh, Game of Thrones uh, sweetheart, also the Wildling. Um. Yeah. <laughs> We're just <laughs> not a lot of a lot of movies in 1986. Not a lot of births. <laughs> I mean, we did have a lot of births. We've covered a bunch. I mean, like say, you know, I I'm, mean, we also had Amelia Clark this year. We did last episode. We talked about you know. Her. I mean, come on. Speaking of speaking of like, if only we plan things, we could have put those two mm. together. So that that's not as glaring as the Top Gun. Actually, Gabe. When we get to deaths, we really like we missed we missed an opportunity. We, we missed an opportunity, but I feel like, and I think this is research. Um, but no, you'll see, you'll see. But yeah, kid. Okay. And then uh, speaking of Eastwood, how are we connecting now? Scott Eastwood, born 1986, of the Eastwoods, the most successful actor, but not the most successful Eastwood. I think. I think his brother. He's like a a, a, a very well known uh, bassist. How many uh how many movies ago was this for for Clint? Like at what what movie watermark was Scott born? Oh well, I, we just did like was it Dirty Harry? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So this would have been Dirty Harry years. Okay. And so it, like what are we like we're like ten fifteen? How many movies in are we? Oh wow, that is forty. I'm gonna say 20? twenty. I'm gonna say right. Okay, we're right about halfway. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say smack down in the middle. Um, and then if you so we measure measure his life, his and then if movies. you do the math, that means that if Eastwood's ninety three now, he would have been okay. Can we do the math? <laughs> oh, uh, I was gonna let you do it. I wasn't even gonna try. When you oh, said okay. we, I was like, ah, oh, he's gonna do it. For oh, okay, sure. so this kid is but like this kid thirty seven. It's got to be yeah. Mm-hmm. He's thirty seven. So subtract thirty seven from ninety three. Wait, he would have had this guy in his fifties. Yeah, he would have been fifty something. Never mind, there has to be more movies than that, right? 
Damn, like, Eastwood? No, but remember... Like upper 20? No, but I was going to say, remember, Eastwood got his career started with television. He didn't start doing movies, movies until the 70s. And he spent those years abroad doing the, <laughs> the, the spaghetti westerns. Um, yeah, no, I'm gonna, I, 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 would, I, feel, I, I feel good about saying 20s. Just because, like, from the late 80s through the 90s through the 2000s, Eastwood probably... Like knocked out another twenty films. Clint Eastwood filmography. Wait a minute. IMDb says nineteen fifty five through twenty twenty one eighty three. What? Hold on. Filmography and movies. That's gotta be TV too. I just I imagine movies. Yeah. He did a ton of TV. Remember, he was in like yeah. He he did do a lot of TV. Yeah, I feel like the seventies when he, is when he started doing films. That's when he branched out. I wonder if they separate. Yeah, here's films. Okay, so the first one, 1971, Play Misty. So one, two, three, four. So 86 puts him at 13 for oh. this list on Wikipedia. Okay, we were much... um, with Heartbreak Ridge that we just had. We're about to have actually good. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that out. That's what editing's for. <laughs> I'm literally just looking at his filmography. That's that's kind of surprising that it's that few that soon. It, but at the same time, it isn't though. If you think about it, because think about think about the fact that when he went and did the spaghetti westerns, he wasn't like a hot commodity. And even after he came back, those movies went around the world for like two, three years before they hit the U.S. for him to like become, you know, the the it actor. So you yeah. could, you could say he lost five to six years in the spaghetti western time. Uh, you know, and then that's 15, that's 10 years of movies. Yeah, if he knocked out 13, that's actually not bad. And again, I, I, I'm i not sure if this list is as exhaustive as because I, like, I'm going to believe this it. is listing, this is listing film as him director and whether or not he's a producer. And then the lower list, they have a whole nother list that's acting roles, but that includes TV television and, and uncredited roles and stuff too. And it's just an insane list that starts in 1955. That just goes on forever. I mean, yeah. All yeah, right. it's, I mean, so yeah, that kind of time. So Scott Eastwood, parts. Scott Eastwood, I think um, we all love them in um, Gran Torino as the punk kid that gets punked. I know he was in the Suicide Squad movies and... Um, Who was he in that? He was one of the, um, one of the soldiers. He's oh, okay. The, yeah, he's the, the guy that's leading the team. No, good looking kid. I think closest to looking like him. And, um, you know, good for him. Good for him being born in Eastwood. Look at that. Spawning in at the right point. Uh, so, speaking of deaths and our blunders and how if we were better at this game, we might actually be able to, like, be successful. Okay, let me let me take that back. You and I are successful. We successfully do this every week. Um, we but, do, and we're and we're happy, as you can tell by the laughter. We are. That's two. That's two. But I guess maybe monetarily successful, where we could get paid for this commercially. If, if we right. if we just did that extra little bit, Gabe. If we did, if we put Eastwood with Eastwood, and if we put, for example, Metallica related things with Gabe, because <gasps> Gabe loves Metallica. Gabe does. Oh no! But this one's that, this is just sad then. But this happened, and of anybody who should have talked about happen. this, yeah. So Clifford Lee yeah. Burton passed away. He was an American musician who was the bassist for thrash metal band Metallica from 1982 until his death in 86. He performed on the band's first three albums, Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning, and Master of Puppets, and appearing on their fourth album, Justice for All, as a songwriter for the last time. While touring... Uh, Europe, in support of Master of Puppets in 1986, Burton died in a tour bus accident in Sweden. And this is why we hate the Swedescape. Yeah, um, they did kill Cliff. So interestingly, like, the the spot he was in, uh, James uh, was potentially going to be in. Let me let me get the actual... There was some... Uh, let me find out exactly what they did to decide... To decide uh how they got that um wait the seating arrangement yeah he was in one of the i think he was in like the bed or something or where he was he was in the sleeping area or something like that and like let me look it up real quick so i don't misquote it but like that's one of the reasons that um it's such a uh he's got survivor's guilt 
Oh, oh, because like tough. he should have been there, but Cliff got the seat, and then that's the he's the one that died out of all of them from the accident. Was he the only one that died? Yep. Oh wow! But here's the thing, and and while you do the research, here's the thing though, and 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 like again, look, I'm not, I am not, obviously, I I I can't say, oh well, I would not have survivor's guilt, but I am one of those people who definitely believes in the universe being a lottery and sometimes the universe pulls your number type of thing, you know? And it sounds morbid and stupid sometimes, but at the end of the day, like, everything that's supposed to happen, happens. Like, uh, I don't think, you know, like, you're supposed to, you could have, I think part of the universe and drawing the lottery is you could have and you weren't. Like, I think that's just one of those things. There's so many times, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was Kirk. Um, the reason I think James is because James is the front man and he talks about it and, he, and then the guy wears his heart in his sleeve as far as this goes at very least and is very emotional about it every time he talks about it. But um, on the night of September 26, 1986, Metallica were traveling between tour dates in Sweden when Burton and guitarist Kirk Hammett drew cards to decide who would choose a bunk. The bassist drew the ace of spades and chose the bunk Hammett, Hammett had been occupying. I said, fine, take my bunk, the guitarist recalled in VH1's Behind the Music. I'll sleep up front. It's probably better anyway. In the early morning hours of September 27th, shortly before 7 a.m., band members were awakened abruptly when the bus began to careen from side to side. The driver later told authorities he lost control after hitting a patch of black ice. The bus left the road and flipped over on its side, and Burton, who had been asleep in the preferred top bunk, was thrown through the window. As the bus came down, it landed on top of the 24-year-old musician. Reportedly, attempts were made to rescue him from underneath the bus by lifting with a crane, but the crane slipped and the bus crashed down on top of Burton the second time. Oh, no. Band members and onlookers have given different accounts of whether Burton died upon first impact or whether when it came down again, but the promising young star died at the scene. Metallica frontman James Hetfield has said he walked up and down the road in his socks and underwear looking for black ice and found none. The musicians have speculated off and on over the years about whether drinking or drugs could have played a role in the accident or whether the driver fell asleep at the wheel. An investigation cleared the driver of any wrongdoing. Obviously, like a huge tragedy for for the band and something they've carried with them ever since. Uh, in my my first time seeing them in 2018, I got to witness, and I'm, I'm happy for this because uh, he, he died not long after, but they, they used to bring Cliff's dad wherever he wanted on their tours. Oh, wow. And they would bring him out to the wild cheers and applause from the crowd. They would they would point him out and mention when he was there. And the crowd just goes bananas every time. And uh, he was there in uh, here in Vegas in 2018. Oh, really? He was in attendance. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so they pointed him out. Everyone went crazy for it. You know, they always um did their best to, like, take care of him and, like, try to, like, you know, um they all they all they all. uh uh, like you know, tried to show love to his his dad. They, I mean, they were close, but like it was you know, it's it's always been like uh, a very personal tragedy for them for obvious reasons and something that you can um, you can see in some of the performance too. Like um, they did the uh, the second uh, symphony album S and M two, and an electric bass does one of Cliff's bass solos, and like that one's just a very emotional you know performance. The oh, people wow. involved That's yeah crazy. so it's a uh, yeah wow what a you know what a uh something to cover that's yeah that would be i mean obviously i get to talk about it here but man yeah yeah and that's why i was like when i when i was uh when i was uh doing it going through the the numbers again i was like oh i need a, i need i'm looking for something else and and that popped up and i was like but it almost goes back to like and I, i'm not comparing cliff's death with like our, but in our sense of research, like where Cat brought yeah. up like Calvin and Hobbes, and we're like, how the fuck did we, <laughs> <laughs> we miss that? Like we literally both like that so much. She casually. Uh. <laughs> okay, moving on to films. Speaking of Eastwood, speaking of spoilers, Heartbreak Ridge, Gabe, produced and directed by Clint Eastwood, who also stars in the film. The film also stars Marsha Mason, Everett McGill, and Mario Mario Van Peebles. The story centers on a U.S. Marine nearing retirement who gets a platoon of undisciplined Marines and must put get them into shape and leads them uh, during the American invasion of Granada in 1983. 
The title comes from the Battle of Heartbreak Ridge in, in the Korean War, where Eastwood's character had earned the Medal of Honor. Screenwriter James Carabazzos, a Vietnam veteran of the... Just for, for the record, anytime I see a name that I don't quite know how to pronounce, my natural instinct is to go Spanish pronunciation. <laughs> I mean, for obvious reasons. Just like, just like mine, uh, as a white person, is to just mispronounce it terribly. Yeah, with yeah. no ethnicity. Yeah, I go with I go I go hard ethnic, and then I'm like, what? It's my it's, I'm I'm Spanish, guys. Um, so yes, James uh, Carabazos, a Vietnam veteran of the First Cavalry Division, was inspired by an account of an American paratrooper of the 82nd Airborne Division using a payphone and a credit card to call in fire support during an invasion in Granada. <laughs> he uh, fashioned the script. Of a Korean um, war veteran, army non-commissioned officer, passing his values to a um, new generation of soldiers. Eastwood was interested in the script and asked his producers uh, to contact the U.S. Army with a view of filming the movie at Fort Bragg. The army read through the script and was like, uh, this doesn't quite represent our values because it had a lot of, you know, a lot of tropes and stereotypes of like, Korean War veterans and he's the, yeah. the army was like this is not who we are anymore but they were like well that's the point this guy's supposed to be you know teaching the so they he's old world so they 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 uh they opted out they reached out to the marines and the marines were like language is kind of bad but yeah we'll we'll uh we'll, we'll put our name on it Merker's like oh no this represents our value <laughs> <laughs> so they had to change the story because he's 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 a marine in the movie but originally the script was the army they had to change it, and then they had to add a scene where he explains, that's when I was with the Army, now I'm with the Marines. <laughs> Just a quick little, you know, yes, yes, Heartbreak Ridge, I was there. Marines weren't there, but I was there because I was in the Army then, and I'm not now because I'm now in the Marines, and now I'm teaching <laughs> Marines. Yeah, but when I got the Medal of Honor, I figured, well, I've I've done everything you could possibly do in the Army, so now it's time. Now it's we'll time. try something else. We'll level yeah. up. Um, a Upon the film being finished, they de the the Marines definitely were like, yeah, we kind of don't want to be a part of this either. <laughs> but they let him film on uh, Pendleton, so good to go. Uh, $15 nice. million dollar budget, Gabe. $15 million dollar budget. What do you think this movie made? Uh, also, before you answer, you know how we were talking about how like Top Gun was like, was it $7 million or $8 million budget? And because of like the Air Force wanting and the mostly the military wants that publicity so they will go along and probably reduce budgets by yeah. allowing them to. I think this is one of those situations, you know, where like could have been more expensive if they hadn't offered themselves to the They weren't filming on Pendleton. Mm -hmm. They're like, you want some explosions? We got explosions. We're causing explosions literally all the time. All the time. <laughs> so yes, uh fifteen million dollar budget. What uh, how successful or okay. not successful? So we've had some wildly that? successful movies this year. We've had like We've had movies in the like three hundred a million range. This is not like this is competing with that. Uh, let's go with like a hundred million. Pretty good, pretty good. One hundred twenty-one. Okay, it did it did fairly well. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it's a fun. You film. know, it's a fun film. What a with a a funny story. Like, can you imagine having someone come in to be in charge of your unit or whatever, or like however that you know, but like from an instructional perspective, who had the, the Medal of Honor. <laughs> well, it's like we had a, we had, when, when I was in SOI, um, we were, and I was doing the uh, mortar training, we had a guy come in who had been in Bosnia and he was telling us about a mortar attack that he had on his people. Yeah. And how like, they were trying to zero in on them, so they actually started moving around and like almost zigzagging so that, that the mortars couldn't pick up their exact location. And he was like, you know, it's always the mortars that you don't hear, the ones that get you. <laughs> but a guy like that comes and tells you, he's like, I've been on the other on the receiving end of what you guys do. It's pretty fucking bad. And you're like, huh. <laughs> I've only been on my end. <laughs> we had... So our late edition drill instructor in basic. So they bring in the the new guy later. So oh, yeah, yeah. he's like got well behaved. Two, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So our late edition was a double purple heart recipient. Christ. Yeah. 
and uh he was a, uh, an am tracker yeah he uh that was that was that was like a big deal for us because like obviously uh current wartime we had like you know all of our like I, I i can't say all of them but like our our senior drill instructor had seen action i at, at least one of the other ones had this guy was the the like this guy came in there with two purple hearts we were like oh for sure like obviously <laughs> you've been on you've been in some real stuff tell us what's up yeah so we were very impressed but i'm i'm a of honor. i'm just I'm, when he's getting that story i'm just like that's that's ridiculous Moving on to the movie Cobra, Gabe. Speaking of speaking of scripts being rewritten, this is a fantastic fucking story. So directed okay. directed by George P. Cosmatos, he will have directed Rambo Two, First Blood again, and Tombstone. Gabe, he will go on to re- to direct Tombstone. Ooh. Yep, and written by Sylvester Stallone, and also starring Sylvester Stallone. Uh, the film co-stars uh, Rennie Santoni, Bridget Nielsen, and Andrew Robinson. The film is loosely based on a novel called A Running Duck by uh, Paula Goslin. So here's where it gets weird. So did you know that Stallone was going to be Axel Foley in Beverly Hills Cop? He had been picked up for that role. That. He had been picked up for that role. Two weeks before filming was to get started, he w- he pulled out because he had rewritten the script and made it more of an action film. And uh, the producers were like, yeah, this is going to go way over budget, so we can't do it. And because they couldn't do it, he bailed on the film, and Eddie Murphy got picked. Dang, what yeah. a change. And they went back to the original script. So, Stallone's screenplay from Beverly Hills Cop was basically redone for Cobra. Since he wanted to make uh, Beverly Hills Cop less comedic and more action, he basically took a ton of what he rewrote for Beverly Hills Cop. And since the script was never used, he ended up using it in this movie Cobra. Wild. Can you imagine Beverly Hills Cop with Stallone? No. (laughs) No, I can't. Man, but yeah, so anyway, everything that they didn't like about about the script for Beverly Hills Cop that he rewrote, he just basically used it in Cobra. He had renamed that is, that is funny. He had renamed the character in Beverly Hills Cop from Axel Foley to like Axel Cobretti. And in here he calls his his character Cobretti. So like um just a little Italian flair on him. Just a little bit. But yeah, it's a unfortunately a very successful film. It's a twenty-five million dollar budget. Made a hundred and sixty okay. million. Gabe made more than Heartbreak Ridge, um, with with notably less medals of honor. Yeah, if you ask me what this movie's about, I remember some secret organization, and I remember the Mustang that he drove, and I remember he wore uh, cowboy boots, like snakeskin boots, and he wore nice. You know, uh, mirrored sunglasses, and um, he was a badass. And well, very tight jeans too. Yeah, as was as was the style. I like. Uh, I was a big cowboy boot fan as a kid. I wore a lot of cowboy boots. Not good for running. Turns out, yeah. Yeah. The last time I wore cowboy boots, my brother gave me some gator skin boots back in two thousand and five. Okay. I I didn't know what to do with them because at the time. And you might know this, Gabe. Cowboy boots go well with like uh, more fitted jeans, right? More fitted clothes. Mm-hmm. 2005, I'm in my mid-20s. I'm still rocking saggy jeans and like, you know, being cool and hip. So turns out boots were not uh, were not working for me. It's an interesting choice of gift. Yeah. Um, I But now, though, I'm like, oh, I would totally rock <laughs> gator skin boots. <laughs> Give the give the Finns something to think about. You know? Uh, moving on to the next movie. Howard the Duck, Gabe. Howard the Duck, directed by Willard Hook, the same person who also wrote Temple of Doom, by the way, and starring Leah Thompson, Jeffrey Jones, and Tim Robbins. Based on the Marvel Comics character of the same name, the film was produced by Gloria Katz 
uh, with George Lucas as an executive producer. The screenplay was originally intended to be an animated film, but the film adaptation became live action because of contractual obligations, Gabe. Foreshadowing. Upon its release, the film was a critical and commercial failure. And was yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna, like, why wouldn't you? Like, this seems like it would be better off as a cartoon. Like, why would you try in this era? Gabe, we're going to get to the beginning of the plot of this film very soon, and you're going to realize that even animated, this might have not worked. Still, yeah. Um, upon it, yeah, so the critical and commercial failure was criticized for its humor, performances, inconsistent tone, and the appearance of the title character, though the effects and soundtrack were mostly praised. Um, budget of 30, 30 to $37 million. How much do you think this movie made? And and by the way, more than what you think. Double what you think. Okay, so we'll go twenty million then. Wow, uh, it got its money back between thirty and thirty. Okay, yeah, because I was gonna say ten. So I was gonna say there's, there's no way. So you said <laughs> yeah, double. I, I went I was, twenty. Yeah, we we've had bombs that okay. are like that's not a bomb, but it's a bomb compared to what it made. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the premise. Okay, Howard the Duck is a 27-year-old and lives in Duck World, a planet similar... <laughs> yes. He's 27-year-old okay. duck. <laughs> yes. Uh, a planet okay. similar to Earth, but inhabited by anthropomorph- anthropomorphic ducks and orbited by twin moons. As he is reading Play Duck in his living room, his... His armchair suddenly propels him out of his apartment building and into outer space. Howard eventually lands on Earth in Cleveland, Ohio. Upon arriving, Howard encounters a woman being attacked by thugs, whom he defeats using a unique style of martial arts known as Quack Fu. The woman introduces herself as Beverly Switzer and decides to take Howard to her apartment and let him spend the night. That's how the movie begins, Gabe. I don't care, Gabe. uh... Even animated, this would be a problem. (laughs) Yeah. I saw Howard the Duck once. I remember there is a female topless duck scene. Okay. (laughs) Okay, that that is the only thing I remember about that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Howard the Duck game. I'm going to assume you've ladies, never seen ladies it. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm no. Ass- I, like, even even as somebody who became aware of it as, like, uh, an adult, I had no... I was, why? Why would I see this movie? You're rightly so, Gabe. Rightly so. Yeah. The Mo- right choice. Moving on to an animated film, which is an actually exceptionally animated... Exceptional... Not exceptionally animated, but an exceptional animated film. Transformers the movie. Based on the Transformers television series, it is a really good animated film. I remember, and I still remember the intro to this film, where they're fighting in their home world, and like Transformers are getting shot and dying, Gabe. Imagine, yeah, like these beings are fighting each other, and they're they're shooting at each other, and the lasers are killing them. This movie starts with Transformers dying from being shot. And it goes from there. It's an exceptional film. It really is. And it had like Leonard Leonard Nimoy. It had Casey Kasem, Robert Stack, Eric Idle were doing voices for all the different uh, Transformers. It's a really good film. It's fun. Sounds like a transformative experience. (sighs) Okay. Moving on to Armed and Dangerous. Not a lot to say about this film except that it's very funny. It stars um, John Candy and Eugene Levy. Uh, Meg Ryan, I think, is the um, is the female lead slash love interest. But it's about a cop who who um, John Candy plays a cop who who got framed by corrupt cops, um, and he loses his job, and. Eugene Levy plays a lawyer who's not very good at his job because he can't defend guilty people when he knows they're guilty. And a judge basically tells him, you should probably find another line of work. 
And they both you hate to see it. Yes, and they both end up being security guards and meeting each other and going to the adventure of like uh, solving a real uh, a real crime. It's a very funny film, John Candy, and it's an underrated, uh, very funny film. Just wanted to really mention okay. that. Moving on to Maximum Overdrive, the only film directed by Stephen King, Gabe, also written by him, based on a short story that he did called Trucks. And basically, it's about all machines, including trucks, radios, arcade games, vending machines, etc., becoming sentient when Earth crosses the tail of a comet, initiating a worldwide killing spree. Wow. Yeah. Every machine. And I remember the film stars um, Emilio Estevez. I know he's in it. And they're at a truck stop, and everything at the truck stop starts to come alive and starts to try to kill them. Um, That was the premise. Here's a fun fact that I didn't know until I did the research for this film. The film has a mid-1980s hard rock soundtrack composed entirely by the group ACDC. Yeah. Stephen King's favorite band, turns out. Nice. The album, Who, Who Made Who was released as Maximum Overdrive's soundtrack. It includes Who Made Who, You Shook Me All Night Long, and Hell's Bells. Yeah. Damn. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, what the, the hell? The most successful part of this this movie, clearly, <laughs> and most persistent in, in the modern uh, culture. How insane <laughs> is that? Wild. That is wild. But yeah, it's it, like Thanks, I, Stephen King. Thank exactly. If, if Stephen King hadn't hired these guys and said, "Hey, I got a movie I'm working hired on," hired this little indie band. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I thought I'd mention that it was a. Uh, it's a fun film. It's it's an '80s dumb like you know like movie. But it's it's a it's a. I didn't know Stephen King had directed it. Uh, that was that was fun to learn. Uh, oh, here's a fantastic movie, dude. Sid and Nancy. Have you heard of it or seen it or anything like that? I feel like I've heard the title, but I don't. I don't know anything about it. Okay, directed by Alex Cox and co-written by uh, Abe Wool. It stars Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb. The film portrays the life of Sid Vicious, the bass from the um, Sex Pistols, and his destructive destructive relationship with his girlfriend Nancy Spungen. Gary Oldman as Sid Vicious is one of the greatest castings I have ever seen. He is he. He looks, first of all, he looks just like him. Um, and the movie's gritty and, and indie and just, it's it's such an amazing performance by Gary Oldman. Incredible. Uh, a, a fantastic film. If you're a fan of punk, if you're a fan of the Sex Pistols, if you're a fan of Gary Oldman, this is a movie to watch. Such a fantastic, I can't, I can't say enough good things about it. I, uh, I have a copy of uh, Sex Pistols, their album somewhere in my stuff my dad gave it to me but never mind the bullocks yep i got dvd got the CD. cd oh got ooh. the cd of it wow look at you gabe showing off moving on to the karate kid part two gabe written by mark common robert mike common he is best known for the karate kid franchise but he will later be known for the transporter and taken franchises huh same guy. Directed by John uh, Avidson, best known for having directed Rocky, where he won a uh, Best Director Oscar. And then he will go on to direct the next three Karate Kids. Um, it's the second installment of the Karate Kid franchise, a sequel to the 1984 film. It still stars Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita. In part two, we follow... Ralph Macchio's character, as he accompanies Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Uh, Pat Morita's character, to see his dying father in Okinawa, only to encounter an old friend turned rival when a long Harvard grudge, with a long Harvard grudge against Miyagi. So part two, uh, so part one, remember they were in um, Reseda or the Valley? Part mm-hmm. two, they go to Okinawa, which is actually filmed in Hawaii, surprisingly. Um, and you know, you get to learn that. Now, the reason why this is fun to me is because a lot of these characters from part two are now making an appearance in the Cobra Kai TV show, which I'm right. very much uh, enjoying. Um, budget of 13 million, Gabe. How much you think the Karate Kid 2 made? 
Oh, okay. Um, let's go with people know what they're getting into now. Uh, let's go with a hundred and hundred and fifteen million. That's actually close. One thirty. Okay. Yeah. Cardi Kid was still making money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even in this uh, uh, target-rich environment of 1986 movies that we've had. Yeah. The next uh, couple movies are honorable mentions. This is a movie that I once saw in the middle of the night that was just playing and I couldn't sleep. I was a uh, late teens. A movie called House. Nobody important as far as directing. But, but, well, directed by Steve Miner. Screenplay by Ethan Wiley. It is the first of three house movies. It stars William Cat. I don't know if you ever saw a TV show called Greatest American Hero. Mm-mm. It was about a guy who gets superpowers and is learning how to use them. It's very funny from the 80s. Nice. Also. But anyway, he star- it stars him. And it's a story of, a, of an author who, lives, who moves into a house that his aunt used to live in and soon realizes that the house is haunted. Now, why this movie stuck out to me, though, was I remember watching it and two things. One, uh, the guy was in Vietnam. The author was in Vietnam and the house is bringing up a buried survivor's guilt that he had. Speaking of survivor's guilt, Mm. um, but a friend that that, uh, comes to him because the house is haunted. So it brings out like a fear in him. And it's about that friend who he left behind or that he feels he left behind from Vietnam who comes to haunt him. So the movie's doing that. The house is haunting him. It's getting personal with him because it's taking him back to Iraq. I mean, to Iraq, to Vietnam. And at the same time, there's this really fantastic scene where he opens the um, the bathroom. Um, what it? Shower curtain? No, no, the, where the mirror is. The, the medicine. Oh, like the medicine cabinet? Yeah, but in the bathroom, what is it called? What's the actual name of it? It's a medicine cabinet. Is that behind the mirror? What yeah. The... I thought it had a different medicine name. medicine cabinet. Oh, okay. Uh, he opens it, and it's all black, and then they show you the inside, and again, it's just an enormous black room with this little window where the, where the mirror is, and he mm. realizes he has to climb inside. I, I just remember that being a very specific thing. But anyway, again, nothing... Great, fantastic, just a really interesting film that I saw that I have never huh. forgotten and I've seen a few times. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next up, Nine and a Half Weeks. I don't know if you've heard of this film, Gabe, but... Have heard of it. Yeah. Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger. And it's about these two people getting it on. This was, uh, you know, sex before, uh, you know, uh, all the Shades of Grey and before, um, you know, all those other films. Just... Uh, I remember a honey scene outside of a, a refrigerator where as an adult, I'm like, God, the honey's so hard to, to like clean up. Anyway, it's going to get everywhere. Going to get everywhere. Uh, the Hitcher, directed by Robert Hammond and written by Eric Red. It starts Rutger Hauer. The, you'll know him as the bad guy from Blade Runner. And Mr. Soulman himself, C. Thomas Howell about a murderous hitchhiker who stalks a young, mo- a young murderist through uh, Texas. It's a fun film. Fun film. Manhunter. Manhunter is a, is a really great film. Uh, written and directed by Michael Mann. And it's based on Thomas Harris. Thomas Harris is the guy who wrote the uh, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Hannibal Lecter story. Mm-hmm. This is the story about Will Graham, the guy who captured Hannibal Lecter. In Manhunter, he's already captured him, and he's actually retired. He retired because of the PT, PTSD he got from almost getting killed by Hannibal Lecter capturing him. So he's re, he's retired. He's earned it. He's earned it. And his old his old boss comes back, and he's like, hey, man, we've got this serial killer, and we don't know what to do. Can you just come and look at it? And he goes, but then he realizes... I have to get advice from Hannibal Lecter about this guy because this guy's fucking nuts. And the only other nuts person I know that was a serial killer was Hannibal Lecter. This is this is pre-Anthony Hopkins. This is everything. It's a really cool flick. It's a really, really cool flick. Uh, and then the last one, uh, as a throwaway, The Golden Child. It's uh, where Eddie Murphy plays a social worker who must save the golden child because he's the chosen one. It's a fun film. It's a fun film. Uh, first appearances, Michael Roker, 
Uh, Henry, portrait of a serial killer. Michael Famously, uh, um, I was going to make the joke, and now I can't think of the Mary Poppins. Famously played Mary Poppins in Guardians of the Galaxy. He did. You're right. I was going to (laughs) say connected to Tombstone. (laughs) But I'm Mary Poppins, (laughs) y'all. Um, Winona Ryder, uh, lovely Winona Ryder, Tony Shalhub, Shalhub, how do you say his name? Tony Shalhub. Shalhub, monk himself, thank you, Gabe, always bet I'm black, Wesley Snipes, he's, he's a fantastic, look, I, I was reading about the remake of Blade, why would you remake it? He was fantastic as Blade. Yeah, I mean... I, I, are they, is it actually a remake or are they just doing more stories are they rebooting it uh, who knows anymore but you know they're going to reboot it because like you know more stories for sure and unfortunately Wesley Snipes went possibly too hard being Wesley Snipes for three when you look into it like he was like impossible to work with yeah but part three also has Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds which makes Blade Trinity a really good film yeah yeah, no, no. I uh, I finally got around to watching it um, a while back, like, and uh, I, I I enjoyed it, and like, you know, like I have a I appreciate Ryan Reynolds and in his humor, but uh, the behind the scenes for that is just insane. Really, Wesley <laughs> Snipes was. Oh yeah, his stunt double. They had to do redo a bunch of scenes just with his stunt double because he refused to do stuff. He was in character, like he he was he was in character for the entire time and would only respond to being addressed as blade he he had some beef with the director and wouldn't talk to him directly and would just leave sticky notes everywhere for him oh wow it was just like just like over the top making it difficult for them as their lead actor and star and so like they were just like this is just did not know about this yeah okay and last but not least billy bob thornton hunter's blood uh tombstone <laughs> but also swing uh swing blade um it's a phenomenal film uh, that's the first thing i think i ever paid attention of him in and then he married angelina jolie and then you know everything else was that done. the second thing you paid attention to him in yeah yeah and then uh bad santa fantastic um all right with the minutes we have left gabe something old something new i have been very busy i watch violent night the um, Christmas uh, Die Hard movie. Okay. Well, I guess Die Hard is a Christmas movie, but this is the Christmas right. Die Hard movie. It's so much fun. I cannot, I cannot recommend this film anymore. It's got okay. It's got Home Alone. It's got Die Hard Two, Die Hard One. I mean, it is so much fun, and John Leguizamo, and it is gory as hell. My God, it, it is so gory. But I can totally see a prequel. I can see uh, a sequel. It's such a fun, fun film. Holy cow! It's so good, so good. At the uh, at at the mention of one of my coworkers, uh, the movie Redline. It's an animated film from two thousand and nine about racing. It's really fucking good. Holy crap! Like, talk about storytelling and animation. Ridiculous. Like, uh can't recommend it anymore and lastly i'll say i have gotten access to the digital copies of batman the animated series i'm 10 episodes in i will be rewatching the entire series holds up animation is ridiculous storytelling is phenomenal there's an episode that stands out it's called the underdwellers and it's about a captain hook character bad guy who like seems to be um Explo- uh, well, kidnapping and exploiting young children, right. and there is some rage in Batman in that in that episode, where there's this scene where he's he he's ringing this bell to get all the kids' attention to make them come very much like Seven Samurai and like uh, uh, Magnificent Seven, but he starts to ring this bell and then he starts yanking on it so hard that he breaks the beam that it's on. He is not a happy human being, knowing that children are being exploited. Dude, it is a really great episode. He pile drives a an alligator. I mean, 
there is a moment where you where 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 he even says like I should kill you but I won't because I still believe in the justice system like it is it, it is it's surprisingly like I remember seeing that episode decades ago and watching it again I was like oh there is some there is some there is some rage in Batman. He's working here. through some things right now. I mean, it was impressive. It really like the first appearance of the Joker was a throwaway episode. Although the Joker has some ridiculously fucking great lines. He does. There's another episode, <laughs> and I'll say this and I'll, I'll let you do your part. There's this episode where um he's able to capture Batman and he throws him inside a bucket, and then he throws the bucket inside the river so he can drown. But first he has to put some holes in it. So he takes a, a sword and basically tries to poke holes in it. He goes, so you can breathe. And he throws him in the water and he sees the thing sink. And he's like, oh, no, my air holes are also water holes. <laughs> it's just so fantastic writing. But fuck, Mark Hamill's delivery. delivery. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, 10 episodes in a week. I am going to be enjoying the next two to three months catching up on these 60 episodes that I have to catch up on. It's good stuff. Oh my God. So much fun. And you Gabe, what about you? Whatever you, what's something old, something new for you? So like one thing that I think, I mean, I know I've told you, but we haven't gotten to say, cause um, we haven't had the time is uh, the D and D movie. Okay. It was, was great. Like they, they hit the right balance of tongue in cheek, like the humor and the the storytelling, the way they present it, is just it feels like a D and D like campaign. It feels like people playing D and D. There's a there's enough in jokes if you know things about D and D, but it's also completely accessible. Like they actually they did such a good job. Chris Pine was fantastic in his role. Like it was cast very well. I love me some Chris Pine, bro. It was it was just you know it's the most basic kind of a story. Like the the story beats the story like the actual baseline story is really basic, but that's fine because it's like it's a D and D story. Like the the setting, the framing, and the things that people do within that story that's what's interesting. You know, not that there's not interesting D and D campaigns, but like there's a lot of basic stuff you end up doing in that, especially at a lower level. And it's just it was just a fun movie. It was it was good. I I hope it does fantastic because I would like to see more. Whether that's more from the same characters or if they do sort of a uh a thing where like the D D is just like the um uh the overall and they do different campaigns different stories because i you know they realize the world in in a very fun way nice so, like, that was a good that was a definitely worth seeing um obviously uh the mandalorian we've wrapped season three um and your thoughts I, and uh, by the way spoiler alert because we're gonna probably spoil it yeah Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. <laughs> this is going to make me laughing is going to make sense on Monday, everybody. <laughs> Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week.